Welcome to the Denver United podcast series on leadership in every season. Our hope is to equip you to be the hands and feet and voice of Jesus in our city. Hello, Denver United, and welcome to our new podcast series, Clunky Conversations on Unity and Race. I'm joined today by your friend and mine, Pastor George Towers. George, thanks for being with us. Absolutely. Rob, how you doing, man? You good? Doing good. Doing good. A little heavy-hearted and disoriented this week as we, sadly, as a nation, re-engage this enduring conversation. And may this tragedy push it forward. You know, we began the church 11 years ago calling it Denver United because we set out with the ambition to build Jesus Church. Jesus said, hey, I will build my church. No qualifications, no conditions guaranteed. Now, no promises about your church, but I'll build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. The gates of coronavirus won't prevail against it. The gates of global economic recession won't prevail against it. The gates of systemic injustice won't prevail against it. And so we've been setting out on this lifelong journey to figure out and follow along with what is Jesus church? What does it look like in every area? Well, Jesus prayed, did you know one prayer that scripture records for us, the future of his church? It's in John 17. And it wasn't that we would be holy, that we would be doctrinally correct. It wasn't even that we would be loving, though undoubtedly he wanted these things. It was that we would be one and that in our unity, the world, the city around us would see a picture of the gospel. Why did he pray for that? That was the question we set out to answer and why we called the church Denver United. It's because there are so many forces, I think, in society, among our fellow humans, that pull at unity, that would divide, that would inject tension and conflict and keep us apart. And so Jesus prayed that we would contend for unity. Contending for unity is a is a challenging proposition on any front, doubly so on the front that introduces subjectivities and unspoken norms and even subconscious biases. Um, because there's awkwardness in that. And above all else, it seems that modern humans, we try to do everything we can to avoid awkwardness. But I think there are some things that are worse than awkward, that are, that are worse than uncomfortable. And to have this conversation is to be willing to have a courageous, but also a clunky conversation and to be willing to let it go down unsmooth. Thus, we're going to begin a series of clunky conversations, modeling how actual humans in the place we find ourselves now can begin to seek unity in talking through some of the most delicate, tender, painful, and real issues of our age. The shooting death of Ahmaud Arbery caught on video horrified the world last week. And so this issue again bubbles up to the surface. George, I, I wonder before we, we talk about the theology of it or we talk about um, the best practices of it, um, the humanity, uh, the, the heart of it. When you, you as a, a pastor, as a, an American father and husband and, and a black man, when you first saw that video and heard that news, uh, how did it hit you? How did you experience that? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a that's a really good question, and I mean, obviously, um, I, I speak for myself. You know, there's a lot of other people that have those same 
qualifications that you use to describe me that might have felt completely differently than I do. Um, but I think the, the first set of thoughts or emotions um, that I felt that I, that I remember feeling was sort of a, a, uh, a, a weird combination of being surprised that it happened, but equally not surprised that it happened. You know, it, it was, it was a, like two sides of the same coin. My first, like my first set of emotions was, Oh my God, how can, how could this happen? But then it was as if I answered my own question by saying, I know exactly how this could happen. <laughs> um, and it was just sort of stuck in that tension and space of like, man, here we go again. And why is this acceptable? Why is this the way things are? Um, but also knowing sort of the answer to that question, <laughs> because we've seen things like this a little bit, um, not a little bit, a lot too often um, in our culture. So, I mean, I could say a lot more about that, but I think that was the initial wave of being surprised, but equally not. You have two boys. They go to school, they live in a city and in a neighborhood that's uh, majority non-black. They're growing up in America in the 21st century. At some point, you start having these conversations. And the conversations that you have, that society requires you as a responsible parent to have to have with your boys, um, what are those like? Yeah. So uh, for those of you that don't know, my, my kids are young still. They're, they're six and four. And my, my wife and I have just, you know, even especially more so recently been having that conversation with us. Like, how do we begin to to talk about this with them? Um, so, you know, more, more than going into what we've said with them, I, I just remember what, what some of those conversations that my dad had with me, you know, when I was a little bit older than six. But, you know, you know, as you're so you're getting a little bit older and getting 11, 12 and seeing more things, just coming to that realization that, that, you know, you know, while a lot of, why so many and most people are loving and accepting um, regardless of your outward appearance, you be, you have, I remember my dad telling me everyone's not going to accept you. Um, everyone's not going to love you. Everyone's not going to like you. And there may not be a reason for it. Um, and I've been thinking about, you know, <laughs> just having that, beginning to have those conversations with my two boys on, Hey, Noah, I know you're a goofball and you love to be an ex you're extroverted. You like to talk to people you don't know, but at the same time, encourage, encouraging that part of him, but at the same time, beginning to expose him to the reality that, man, there's going to be some people that even though you're nice to them and you love them, they're not going to like you. And it has nothing to do with what you said. It just has everything to do with their past, their hurt and the color of your skin. Um, and be, it's just, it's, it's heartbreaking, man, to, to just, to think about those conversations, um, you know, and, and having to have them. Uh, I remember one, <laughs> I was talking to my wife about this earlier, but just those conversations that my dad had with me early on of, you know, when you get pulled over, there's like a set of rules. It was, uns it was very much unspoken, but it was like, Hey, make sure that, you know, when you get pulled over, do everything the officer is asking you to do. But it, there's this undertone of like, Hey, and because you're black, you make sure you do these things. Mm. Um, and my parents did a, a phenomenal job of, 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 uh, of exposing us to that. Um, but also not overexposing us to it, to where we walked around in fear and, and mm. looking for it all the time. But man, it, it, I think it, 
to be a responsible parent, especially in my eyes, I have to, I have to make them aware of the reality that they're stepping into, that this stuff exists um, in this world today. So, George, that that's so real and it's visceral and raw right now, but it's it's been present your whole life and uh, it grieves me. You know, I remember my dad having a similar conversation with me, but not about how to, to act. No one ever had to have that conversation with me just because the color I was born. Right. I mean, it might have been more like, hey, when you get pulled over by the police, pull over. <laughs> you know, don't don't take off like Dukes of Hazard style. <laughs> um, pull over. But that was about it. There was it, not only did I not think about how to act. I didn't know that anyone did. I was unaware. I was oblivious to the fact until well into my adult life, frankly, that anyone had those conversations or had to have those thoughts. And there's, there's an implicit privilege in that. There is an inequity in that luxury of not having had to know. We're going to come back to that idea um, because it, it, white privilege is, is a loaded topic and one that's, that's it's difficult for many. Um, and, and it's often thrown around as a judgment. And that's not at all what we're looking to do. Um, we're looking to, to, to bring together, not divide. Um, but let's, let's begin at the beginning. Um, what made that case, this case, that video, uh, so appalling? The crime happened in February, the day before your birthday and two days before mine. We didn't yeah. hear about it, right? Isn't your birthday the 24th? Yep, yeah, yeah, you got it. Okay. Yeah, Way so it happened on February 23rd. Uh, we didn't hear about it because we were, um, the, the news was deluged with uh, the coronavirus, understandably so. Um, but there were no arrests made, even though the, um, the officers on the scene found probable cause and... Uh, asked for permission to make an arrest, to make arrests. They were told no, uh, is what we've learned, as reported by the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And then uh, they sat home for the next two and a half months on their couches, like the rest of us. There was a, a localized outcry. There was a video that, um, the, again, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution has reported was um, taken by a concerned neighbor and supplied to the police mm -hmm. law enforcement had that video weeks before uh maybe months before we all saw it still nothing and then eventually that video was leaked to um the news media and went viral in a matter of hours uh and was seen around the world and at that point within what 24 hours maybe 36 uh two arrests were made that stinks to a yep. lot of like, how did that go down? How does that feel? Yeah, yeah, like that. So I want to be, I want to be cautious with that. I just, I just don't want to underplay anything here. I, I, like I said, my first reaction was, how can this happen? Um, and you know, like I said, knowing how because we've seen, we've seen this before in some ways. Um, so for me, there were, there were two, um, just travesties with this man. One is that just that it happened, right? That, that a guy just gets shot in his chest. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, that's, that should never happen. Um, where an unarmed man, unarmed black man gets, gets his life taken from him in that way. 
So what, so what happened was unacceptable in my eyes. But what happened next was where I, put, where I found a lot of my energy going, um, maybe just inadvertently. It, it was just going there. That not just what happened, but that these dudes went home. Like a dude was shot in the chest, an unarmed man was shot, killed, and then the two people that did it went home and watched a show or something, you know, and they've been chilling for two months. And I, I think the part that, that, that was driving me and so many other people crazy was, can you imagine a universe where a white man unarmed was jogging through a black neighborhood and, and two black men shoot him and he dies? And those guys are not in prison immediately. You know, like we all sort of, even if we don't want to admit it, we know that that's exactly what would have happened. Mm -hmm. And for me, that was the part that was just the most outrageous, man, was just that that, the, that, that was allowed to happen. Not just that it happened, but what happened next? That, 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 they just, that, that nothing happened. Yeah. They went home and tried yeah. to seemingly push it under the rug, took the public outcry to, to make something happened. I heard, I read this week that, uh, I think it was a post that some, somebody said, Hey, don't, you know, don't get, don't be mistaken. They weren't arrested because they saw the video. They, there were arrests made because we saw the video. Yeah, that's right. You know? And, that's exactly uh, and right. that's the part that was just the hardest to swallow, man, was that life went on as normal for that, for those uh, two gentlemen uh, for a couple of months where we all know if it was a different scenario, uh, man, people would have been in prison right away. Yeah, that's right. Um, it's appalling. It's, it's, it is appalling. And, um, I heard you describe two injustices. I want to break those down. The first is the injustice of one human being followed, apparently stopped, trapped, confronted, unarmed by two armed men, and then shot and killed in what appeared execution style like posse justice um there is there is an there is an injustice obviously in yeah. any human experiencing that um whether he had been doing nothing but his innocuous jog around the neighborhood or whether he had been committing some other crime that's not justice mm -hmm. but then there is a second um and more a subtler and more insidious layer of injustice, um, a, a systemic injustice. And that has to do with the fact that there was apparent complicity and support in that being dismissed, it being swept under the rug. The word of the shooter or the word of the shooter's accomplice and father, um, being taken that that happened was not accidental or coincidental however it sits with us that was consistent with a pattern of injustices in american history that makes it systemic and that's why th this goes from local protest to international outcry overnight once we see the video, because there is an awareness of this systemic injustice, but that, an, that awareness 
is is inequitably experienced. And so that's part of what we as God's people ought to do. Speaking the truth in love, stand up. Stand up for those whose voices are not able to be heard because they were extinguished at the age of 25 while exercising, like Ahmaud Arbery, or because they are in the minority, or because uh, of one reason or another. And so pursuing justice can't simply stop at, ain't that a shame that that happened? Mm-mm, that's wrong. Come on, heaven, where everything is put to rights. That is inadequate. That's yeah. not sufficient. God's heart for justice goes to the roots. It doesn't address uh, window dressing of an injustice without digging into the systemic injustice that made it possible again. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and I think that man, you've said it. You said it so well, as you always do, man. But I think that's that's what I would encourage people uh, to to really spend some time with. Um, just in their thoughts and their, in their time with God, whatever, just sit, sit in both of those. And just, cause I think what gets a lot of play and rightfully so is what happened. The injustice of someone getting gunned down unarmed in a neighborhood. And, and hear me, that is unacceptable and always should be. And it is, is, is pure evil, man, in my estimation for that to, for that to exist and for that to happen. So, I think that what I would invite people to is to sit in that, to feel that, but then to also embrace, like you said, the second injustice of apparently in in some, in many places in, in this country, things like this are allowed to happen and people are allowed to go home afterwards and stuff gets swept under the rug. Now, what, why that exists and why that is, is um, why that happened that's a whole nother set of conversations that is probably above my pay grade to understand completely. But the fact is, is that we live in a, in a system and in a place where that's possible. And I think the first step towards any type of um, uh, healing, reconciliation, whatever you want to call it, is at least acknowledgement that, man, we live in a place where that can happen. I um, mean, for many of us, that was um, the first time we've seen or heard of something like that. Uh, and been exposed to that reality. And uh, I would just encourage people to sit with that, to feel that, um, and, and to just to allow it to soak in, because it always starts there. Man, systemic injustice, like you're describing, it is a Christian problem. Justice is, is deeply entrenched in the heart of God. It, it's an American problem. Right. Um, the Declaration of Independence began that um, we're taking this unprecedented action in order to form a more perfect union. Right. The implication there is that we recognize that a union created by humans needfully limited in our capacity is going to be imperfect perhaps far from imperfect. And so there is, a, there is an American tradition, indeed a mandate in our country to press on the perfection or rather lean into the imperfections that linger in our union. This is uh, a, a, a video um, that makes us squirm 
at face value, it's horrific, but doubly so because it hearkens some of our nation's most uh, darkest and most shameful times in history, some of the, the greatest imperfections in our union. Uh, but it is deeply American to go there. It is yeah. un-American to turn a blind eye or say, you know what, is that really the case? Um, and then it's, it's, it's deeply human. This is what it means to be human, to experience injustice is is human at the most fundamental level. But um, it is human to identify it and address it, to call it into the light and to do it is to do it clunky. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, um, but I can imagine for you, George, growing up as a, as a, a young man in suburban Denver, going to the University of Denver, um, not only have you always been in a, 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 a minority ethnically in this region, but I would imagine you felt it. And um, you're one of the many things I love about you is that um, you're smooth socially. You can fit in in any situation, um, but that doesn't mean you don't feel it. And I can imagine you're the veteran of a number of well-intentioned, clunky conversations about race. And I don't know how it is uh, for black people, but I, I have a decent sense of how it is for white people. I've been one for 46 years, uh, one of like the two or three whitest people I know. Um, and and there's, a, there's an aversion, an apprehension at least, toward engaging meaningful, non-platitude, um, non-Twitter-verse, um, uh, uh, or, or Twitter post um, dialogue on race, because it's, it's awkward, it's clunky. Um, what have you experienced and what do you say to that? Yeah, you're, I mean, you're right. I, I think there's a sense in which, you know, it's a, it's a weird conversation to have. Uh, a lot of times growing up, I was one of the only few, if any, black kids in a school, um, let alone a class, right? So if, if, when, if and when anything comes up in the context of race, there's sort of that everyone knows, like, oh, that's like they, they look at you, right? Uh, but they don't want to say it because they feel uncomfortable. Like, right. uh, you're the black guy. Why don't you say something? Um, you know, so I, it's it's awkward. It's clunky. But what I've, what I've experienced, man, is that it's best, um, like you said, to just push through it. Push through that awkward conversation. Now, I'm putting uh, someone on blast right now. One of our staff uh, is amazing. Um, Logan, he reached out to me after this happened. Uh Logan is our youth pastor, by the way, Logan Holloman. He's the best. Shout out, Logan. Um, but after this happened, man, he, he just gave me a call. And uh, I'll do my best not to impersonate his voice because I accidentally do it every time. I no, You need to it. do it. You know, but he calls like, you know, man, hey, you know, like that's, that's Logan. He got he, uh, like a little out of that. But in all, in all seriousness, seriousness, no, man, he, he just said, hey, like, I don't know what to say. I just wanted to call. And I don't even know if I should say this, but I just, I'm sorry that this happened and I don't know what you're feeling, but, and he kept apologizing like every eighth word. Like I, I'm, I don't, like he could feel the awkwardness, but man, that meant so much to me uh, that, that one of my brothers would just call, call and say, how are you doing? How are you processing this? How are you feeling? And as awkward as it, as it maybe felt on his end, what I felt on my end was love and care. Um, um, because he, he asked open-ended questions. He didn't try to tell me what to think. He didn't try. He just, he said, I'm sorry. How are you doing? Like, how are you, how are you thinking about this? 
So, you know, like, like I said, like you said, man, it's, it's clunky, but it's worth it. Um, and I, I, I know a lot about a lot of people listening to this uh, podcast is that y'all are filled with love and compassion and you're filled with the spirit of God. And, and that's, what's going to be felt through the clunkiness. Um, no one's going to give you a hard time for it. Uh, so just push through it and be willing to engage. And I think what will be felt and experienced is love and care. That's where we're going. We're going down the road that leads to clunky conversations, awkward moments, putting our foot in our mouth, not knowing what to say. But there are some things that are worse than awkward and allowing systemic injustice to perpetuate past our watch. That's one of them. And I say this is what it means to be Denver United. We lean into this and we rely on the fact that it's Christ Jesus who's at work in our hearts, giving us the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Unity, compassion, justice, these things are what pleases him. He's going to give us the power as we muster the desire. And so, friends, we're going to begin this clunky conversation and ask you to do the same. Let's not wait till we have a PhD in racial reconciliation because then we'll never have the conversation. Let's not wait for the perfect conditions or they're never going to come. Let's lean in and trust Jesus and speak the truth in love. That's always been how we followers of Christ have grown. And there's no better time than this. I believe that we as Jesus followers have a leadership voice in our community. We live in a time where good sense, clear communication is at a premium. There is so much vitriol, so much froth, so much hand-wringing and name-calling in the public discourse. We've, in many ways, outsourced our public square to cable news, and it's no wonder that everybody's cranky and distant. But we have an amazing opportunity. The human soul is wired for God. It thirsts for unity. It just doesn't know to call it that, and it doesn't know where to find it. And friends, we have the the mandate. We have the privilege of being speakers of the truth and love. Let's represent Jesus, his heart of compassion, and his desire, his insistence on justice as uh, we walk the road ahead. And let's let the tragic death of Ahmaud Arbery and so many others who have lost their lives, Americans senselessly slaughtered. Let's let those um, not be for nothing. I'm excited for this conversation, even as, frankly, I'm a little afraid of it. Um, But so it begins. If it goes at all, it's got to go that way. We're going to continue this conversation in in a series um, that will just only half-jokingly call clunky conversations on unity and race. Um, Fighting for unity is the mandate of Jesus Church. These are the the watchwords of Denver United, and there's no front where it is both more tender and more necessary than, than this one. So, George, thanks for being willing to engage in the conversation with me and just to share from your heart and your experience and your family's experience as we, as we try to put this discussion in perspective. Would you pray for us uh, before we go? Just pray a blessing over us as we embark on this leg of the journey together. Yeah, absolutely. Jesus, we um, just invite your spirit 
into this conversation. We know that it is one that is um, dear to your heart. God, you care for every single one of us. And uh, part of why you came was to put the world to rights, to put things back together, to restore us, God. And sin has ripped us apart. And what we're experiencing with this and racism and violence and hate is just part of the brokenness of sin. So Lord, we ask for your spirit in this conversation. Would you give us a supernatural ability to set down our defenses, to open up our hearts, to listen to the experiences of people uh, that, that don't look like us, uh, to see life through the eyes of, of another? And God, as we do that, God, and, and as we approach this conversation with empathy, um, I, I'm just praying, Lord, for a supernatural um, process of reconciliation. God, would you help us as we as we journey this road? And um, we know you're going to do that. Uh, so, Lord, we, we thank you for uh, for these conversations. Would you bless them moving forward? In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, God bless you, everybody. We'll continue this conversation later in the week. Hope you have an amazing week. May the Lord Jesus strengthen you in every way to serve him, to do his will and keep you in his peace. Love you a lot. Thank you.